Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Mystery Bible on Podcast. Once again, you have myself, Joel, and Dan, and Brian, all co-hosting an episode. And this one is a a little different in some ways, but uh, also a lot of the same things you like. The music that you just heard comes from our good friend Wayne Havy, so you can thank him for that. We are uh, we're a big deal now. We're having original soundtracks created for these episodes. Woo-hoo. So I hope you all are enjoying that. We really appreciate Wayne's creativity there because uh, some of you may have picked up on the fact that the original the, the earlier music we were using on early episodes was literally me going to the internet and searching free podcast music because I don't want to get uh, kicked off of these platforms for violating copyrights. So thank you, Wayne, for upgrading the show a little bit. Uh, We continue, if you haven't noticed, um, uh, we're relatively low uh, in terms of production value. You know, we're figuring out the sound, we're figuring out the mics. We really appreciate you all bearing with us as we get those things dialed in a little bit. Fortunately, I think every episode has been listenable, and uh, hopefully you'll continue to see improvements as we figure out our uh, equipment situation. And we have people separated by a thousand miles, uh, all recording this simultaneously. So we thank God for that amazing technology that allows these things to happen. So tonight, we're going to do one thing a little bit different. We're not talking about a book. We're talking about a movie. And it may be a movie you've seen or not seen, but it's a movie uh, of which you're probably at least familiar And this movie is the recent Marvel movie, Eternals. And uh, if you're wondering why on earth we're talking about a Marvel movie, then I think you'll uh, you'll have it figured out by the end of the episode why we are going in-depth on this movie. Um, I'm not going to start talking about the movie yet. I just wanted to kind of give you that uh, heads up. The the final thing I'll say before we kick off the conversation here is uh, we are up to dozens and dozens of listeners and downloads. And... um, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much for posting this, sharing with your friends. As I've mentioned, there's no way to spread the word on a podcast besides just organically spreading the word. The only way we get better in terms of larger audience and more feedback and more people involved and better conversations is we've really enjoyed the recent engagement on our Telegram group, by the way. If you don't know about the Telegram group, just contact us, mysterybiblelon at gmail.com. We'll, uh, we'll let you know how to get into it. Uh, lots of fun behind the scenes discussion there. Um, that only happens because you all are jumping on board. You're telling your friends, you're adding people to the group, you're you're sharing the podcast, you're sending links around. Um, I've been uh, startled and pleased by the people from whom I've heard that I had no idea knew this podcast was happening and uh, have said how much they're enjoying it. So thank you all for that. Okay, we have Brian, we have Dan. We are talking about Marvel's Eternals. Uh, I want to kick it to uh, to Brian first with the simple question of, Brian, why are we talking about Eternals? Well, based on all of the other things we've been talking about, and there's this narrative that comes from ancient Hebrew scriptures and, you know, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, and all the things that we've talked about in the ancient world. And here is a modern movie that initially, especially starting off and most of the way through it, basically falls directly into that narrative. And there are a lot of movies that have been put out over the years that follow these similar kinds of narratives. And they take 
these divine beings and they put them in interacting with humans and all of the kind of touch points of the things that happened scripturally, like in Genesis six, for example, and, and other things related to the watchers. And we'll get into all that. All those touch points are kind of hit in the movie. And then they add some other sci-fi stuff and some other things that they're doing. But um, in, in the final analysis, it, it really does play to, what we've been talking about and this is just a big big budget movie that a lot of people have seen not as many as marvel wanted but additionally you know there's like i said there's a lot of other movies and i'll probably throw in a couple of titles of movies that start off with a similar kind of a of a worldview as they move into it and i know that we'll also get into the agendas behind the different things that they bring in to the movie yeah, thanks, Brian. I think it's a for those of you to whom that sounds really weird, like what Marvel movie, ancient biblical text. What we're trying to highlight here is that there is not as wide of a gap as you think between secular entertainment and some of this ancient theology we've been discussing on this podcast. In fact, that gap appears to be rapidly narrowing. For and, and there's probably an agenda behind that. That's We'll put some tinfoil hats on that later. Um, so I, what Brian's talking about is this movie, more than most, and there are a few others that we could go to, but this is a recent one and a popular one, and anybody who's not living in a cave at least has a clue what Marvel is. I, I do want to emphasize, we're not recommending this movie. We're not saying this is a fantastic movie and everybody should go see it. That's not the point of this discussion. It's what is this thing that was just released into pop culture under one of the biggest budgeted and most major franchises in the world of modern times, of any time, probably, when you look at Marvel? And and why are they saying what they're saying? So we're dissecting it. It's not a review. It's not a recommendation. It's an examination of the movie. So, Dan, uh, why are we talking about Eternals? Uh, well, when I first started watching this movie... I stopped because it was uh, so sacrilegious, but you know, decided to watch it again so we could discuss it on the podcast. And when you, once when again, you... Dan has to expose himself to content because I ask him to. Yeah, thanks. So Dan, me. go back to that movie. I want to talk about it. He's like, it was terrible. Like, yeah. Well, fair enough, but uh, we want to discuss it. Right. So, so when you watch it through a you know that critical lens of looking for the agenda behind it the agenda just jumps out at you and it's so apparent. And you, you, I mean, it's almost every scene in the movie points to something that is just this uh, clear twisting of scripture and truth. And, uh, and so, but it's also an agenda that we've talked about before. You know, when we've talked about the great deception and what that could look like, some of that, what that could look like is exactly what, uh, topics that this movie hits on uh, so you know there's a lot of reason to 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 talk about the movie like joel said that doesn't mean we recommend the movie you're probably better off just listening to the podcast but you know there we go <laughs> there we go all right so some of you have seen eternals some of you have not some of you are deeply deeply familiar with marvel some of you are not. I am. I I'll frame it for myself. So I I'm familiar with the early Marvel movies, 
And then it just kind of got out of hand. And I don't watch that many movies. And I, at this point, I'm when I'm like 20 movies behind in a franchise, I just, I don't know if I can catch up. So I've sampled them here and there. I remember watching some of the early Avengers movies and, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, some Hulk or Iron Man one and two, and then, and then just kept making more. I saw one of the early Thor movies and they're fun. You know, they're good entertainment and there's a lot there that's, uh, and I mean, not theologically, just there's a lot there. And then they got really dark. And recently I went back and watched Endgame just to try to jump to the end and see what was going on. And that was a dark movie. <laughs> that was a, there's a lot happening in that movie. And and I know there's so much I'm missing. And Eternals, as a, as a film, is kind of a whole... Um, it, it's it's an, a whole new introduction of uh, characters into this Marvel franchise, and it's a bulk introduction. There are several um, of these characters. So the the main names of the main characters, if you're going to list off the Eternals, their name that's Ajax, Cersei, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Fastos, Makari, Druig, Gilgamesh, and Thena. My first cognizant memory of this movie was uh, we were on a road trip and I was taking, we were stopping by a fast food place. I guess it was McDonald's, I think. And, uh, there were Eternals, uh, action figures or something, you know, Eternals related things, um, for the kids, happy meals. And that always pricks my, my ears up because, because, you know, McDonald's is the biggest of the big, and when it's partnering with these things, there, there's something kind of being introduced into the the pop culture um, subconscious. And I'm going, there's this movie that they're giving the children are being pulled into this movie. And I didn't think a lot about it. I really I'd never thought at the time that I would be doing a dissection of the movie from a theological standpoint. But that was my first time thinking, I wonder what the heck this movie's about. And I wasn't sure if it was a Marvel movie at the time. I thought maybe it was a, a TV show or something, but McDonald's doesn't usually do TV shows. So I, sh- I was sure it was some big promo push, and it's interesting that it was be tar- being targeted to young children through uh, through uh, Happy Meal toys. Um, and this is not a young children's movie. Um, I'll just go out and say that. Like there, there's content in here, not super graphic, not super explicit, but uh, there's there's a little little blatant hanky pank and a little bit else that goes on. That's not really a children's movie. Um, and especially as we talk about you know what's behind what they're saying, it's certainly not a children's movie. So. Um, Brian, I don't, I don't have a ton of prepared questions. I know that there is so much we can go into, and there's so much I want to say about this movie uh, or this, this film, Eternals. Um, Let's let me let me uh, yeah, go, let me go back up it. a little bit. Okay, so obviously, all of the Marvel content, all of the movies are based on the Marvel comic book franchises and graphic novels. You have DC and Marvel are the two big ones. There are a bunch of independent uh, comic book creators as well. It's a huge industry. And so the Eternals has been in the comic books for a very long time in terms of the Marvel products and all of the different Marvel movies come out of that. And now you also have the Disney plus shows that are not being made into feature films, but they recently just did She-Hulk. And before that they did Moon Knight, they did Loki. And in terms of the Eternals and the way that they kind of present the universe, the one that is actually the absolute closest to the biblical Babylonian, Sumerian, whatever narrative is Moon Knight. And it's even more dramatic than the Eternals because in the end of the Eternals, you kind of figure out that they're not real beings, they're machines in a way, you know, this kind of a thing. 
But in Moon Knight, it has all of the old gods. Like he serves an Egyptian god who is who is an Egyptian god of judgment. And he's his avatar on the earth. And all of the other uh, gods have a council and they debate things and they all have avatars that do things for them. And sometimes gods can get exiled and all of this stuff. So it all ties together. And you also, in the comic book narrative, I remember when I was back in high school, which was a long time ago, and they came out with one where the forces of hell were attacking the earth. You know, you get into the Doctor Strange movies and he's the Sorcerer Supreme and it deals with all these alternate planes of existence and all of these creatures that are coming to attack. And the, the job of the Sorcerer Supreme is to protect the earth from the forces of all of these other different planes. So you get this huge narrative and this, you know, they want to they cover all the science, all the science fiction, all of the magic, all of the theology, all of the old gods and mythology. They want to put all of it into their comic book worlds and overlap everything. And then there is a base narrative that the human spirit and the human soul is the thing that just keeps winning. No so matter saying, how bad the odds get, it just keep winning. So you're saying it's a man-centric perspective of the cosmos. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the comic, what we're not doing here is just getting all wrapped up in comic books. That's not the point. What we're recognizing is that these comic book franchises, which span decades and decades and have shaped generations, are uh, extremely carefully crafted. And I don't mean that from a conspiratorial point of view, but I mean, they know their stuff. And so when you're a kid reading Superman, it's just fun. But then later, when you watch um, a, a Superman movie and you see him being cast as Christ and shot behind or shot in front of stained glass windows with a halo and posing as the cross, it's pretty blatant that you have these, you know, these religious overtones. And what's important to that is not that the comic books are doing it, but be, but that comic books and these comic books that have since become film franchises are such an, a huge portion of society that those narratives are being woven into the secular subconscious and the secular conscious of what is reality. And it's continuing to reinforce very, very specific messages. And now that there's so many of these films and that they're so intricately woven together, it's creating this entire alternate universe and, and that it has the biggest filmmaking budgets behind them and they have the biggest global box offices behind them, barring uh, uh, the recent Top Gun Maverick, which was a legitimately good movie. And you should probably see that one. That's a good one. Um, but that's not what we're talking about tonight. I just like airplanes. But the uh, when you get to the, the comic book side, it th th we have been, for lack of a better term, bombarded with this. We, you got the DC side with, uh, you know, Batman, Superman, uh, Wonder Woman, you got the Marvel side of everybody else. You start weaving them together with Spider-Man and then introducing these new Eternals franchises. How many, I mean, how many uh, Marvel movies are we up to now? It's got to be pushing 40 in, in the last 20 years, give or take. I, and I don't, I don't have my dates exactly right, but it's something like that. It's a massive, massive push. And the story is building to this position that has now birthed the narrative of Eternals. 
So Dan, if you don't mind, give a, a quick overview of who the Eternals are and, and we'll, we'll come back to it again and again. So just give a quick introduction for somebody who has no clue what we're talking about. What is this movie? Who are the Eternals? What's the point? And let's assume that they don't have a really deep Marvel background. Yeah, so the the Eternals are basically these beings from another planet who were sent to Earth to protect humanity. This uh, new species that had been now. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to jump in with stuff because every single detail matters. Do you remember what planet they're from? Olympia. Olympia. All right. So those of you who know Greek mythology, that this whole movie is fraught. And by fraught, I mean, has intentional wording where the words are slightly different than these ancient terms, but they really mean the same thing. So these are eternals from this quote unquote other planet called Olympia. If you know your Greek mythology, all the gods come from Olympus. So you have eternals coming from Olympia or a couple thousand years ago, you have gods coming from Olympus. Maybe they're the same thing. Maybe they're not, but they're not terribly different. Okay. So go ahead, Dan. So Sorry. You, so, well, so you get a lot of, of stuff thrown in your face before even the opening scene, right? Like the, the movie first starts and it's this text and it's a, a couple paragraphs describing what's about to happen. And within that, you have a description of, of who some of these different characters are, where they're from. Do you remember what the opening line is? In the beginning. In the beginning. Do you remember what the closing line of the movie is? I, I wouldn't expect you to because I barely caught it myself, but it's, and he will return in judgment. Yeah, he will come back for judgment. Yeah. yeah. So it's in the beginning is the opening line. And the closing line is, and he will come back from judgment for judgment. So in the beginning, before the six singularities and the dawn of creation came the celestials, Ereshim, the and the prime celestial, created the first sun and brought light into the universe. So we have let there be light. Uh, sorry, let me see if I can keep getting this. Uh, life began and thrived. So you got this creation kind of narrative. All was in balance until an unnatural species of predator emerged. Um, and from deep space, or the unnatural species of predator emerged from deep space to feed on intelligent life. And they were known as the deviants. And the universe was plunged into chaos. So we have beginning was created and then fell into chaos. So this is sort of a slight warping of the creation narrative, or maybe it's a recasting of the creation narrative because we've talked about Tohu Abohu and the difference between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. It goes I, on I to say- I think it's a recasting and you every single one of these movies and different narratives that that the world comes out with has a strong core of dualism. That yeah. there is an evil and there is a good and they are balanced and they should be balanced. And sometimes the good guys have to restore the balance. You saw it in Star Wars with the whole narrative of Darth Vader. And he's he's going to he's the one prophesied one. He's going to restore the balance. And just because he did it by wiping out every other Jedi wasn't what they were planning on. But that narrative is still there. And it, this narrative, you have the deviants. Yeah. You know, you have this absolute, you have this Erisham celestial who creates the entire universe and creates the first sun. And somehow there's this evil stuff that comes from the deep parts of space. You know, chaos just spontaneously emerges because the universe just can't go on without having the ultimate evil and the ultimate good fighting against each other for eternity. 
And by the way, you, you compare that with the Hebrew narrative, which is Yahweh is creating order out of chaos. So there is the, the same chaos order kind of thing, but it's a different order, or, or they, they come in a different sequence. And, and Brian, what you're saying is extremely timely, and I'm going to keep reading just these opening paragraphs. It says, to restore the natural order, Ereshem, who is that, that prime great celestial, sent Eternals, immortal heroes from the planet Olympia, to eliminate the Deviants. Um, Eternals had unyielding faith in Ereshem until one mission led by a prime eternal, Ajak, changed everything. So that's setting up the plot of the movies. The plot of the movie is Ereshem is the this great creator, this uh, opposing chaos showed up on the scene, and they're called the Deviants. And so Ereshem creates or sends, it doesn't even say creates, he sends these this sub this this other group of eternal beings called the Eternals to deal with the deviants. And they have tremendous faith in the creator Ereshem until this one mission where they have to go to this one place that happens to be Earth. And the opening scene is they're showing up in Earth at 5000 BC, so essentially 7000 years ago. And uh, Dan, do you want to take it away from there? Just the, the quick synopsis of what's going on yeah, and who these demons are. Right in Mesopotamia, having these you know beasts and monsters pop up out of the ocean trying to attack humanity. The monsters and of the, the deep, by the way, there, which shows up in Genesis one, Genesis one, uh, Genesis two. Monsters of the deep is an extremely old thing, and so you have these these monsters erupting out of the deep and attacking human beings. Right, and then and so the the Eternals are there to protect them, save them. They defeat the this first round of deviants, and then hand the people a metal weapon. So you have you have this scene again of uh, these alien beings giving technology, which is a a bigger theme later on in the movie as well. But I mean, all this is happening within the last first minute or two of the movie. And, and let me remind you that that is exactly what is in the narrative of, you know, the book of Enoch and the, the watchers and all of the, those fallen de uh, deities, they provided all kinds of technology and knowledge to the human race. And so that's why in the Babylonian culture, they're all culture heroes who provided them with the ability to subdue and take over all of their neighbors. And in the Hebrew narrative, they're evil because they were teaching man to do things they shouldn't be doing. Brian, can you give a little more context on that opening scene? Thinking back to our last episode, introduction to extraterrestrials, frame that opening scene. And does it frame out as an, as an extraterrestrial encounter for those early humans of 5,000 BC? What, 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 how was that set up? If you recall, I, I think that, it does. It's a little bit clouded because all of the all of the beings that show up look 100% human. And they're the same size and height as humans and they look like everyone else. So they don't provide that you know they're using all these crazy powers to defeat the deviants, but someone watching this go on would see someone using some unknown magic, what have you, technology, how, you know, the ancient people wouldn't necessarily call it technology, obviously, but they're seeing them do these things to fight and protect the people, but they're not sure initially probably what they are. And so if you think of them as 
they they started to think of them as gods, and then yeah, their names they, are they all worshipped as gods. Yeah, they show so, up like gods. They they so show they up are, as these super yes. beings, and they're absolutely extraterrestrials from that perspective. I mean, they fit right into the narrative that we talked about last time. Well, and then they have this. Uh, then when their giant ship is revealed to have been there all the time. And so first it's, I don't know if you remember this detail, but there uh, it's the, after the, the eternals who show up and fight like gods to determine, to, to vanquish these um, uh, supernaturally evil creatures that come boiling out of the ocean to attack the humans. Then there's this godlike fight that uses incredible technology, which obviously blows the minds of these uh, Stone Age people ish. And this could be a la Space Odyssey 2000, if you want to go back to that. Um, blows their minds. Then it's revealed as the as their eyes open that there's a ship, a, an enormous hyper high technology ship that's been hovering there all along, or at least for a long period of time. And these people who thought they were alone weren't actually alone. And the Eternals just stepped in to fight the Deviants. So the, the narrative continues that the Eternals' job, they're here on Earth to defeat the Deviants. And it starts in about 5000 BC, which is about as far back as the human record goes, and goes up to around 1521 BC, I think, which it took me a little while to realize that this it, the, the, the last Deviant fight at least for the opening part of the movie, ends at the city of Babylon. Uh, any commentary on city of Babylon or what? anything you guys picked up on that I skipped over? Well, uh, Babylon is obviously significant in the biblical narrative. Uh, but towards the end, you see that their, their starship, which has been on Earth this whole time, was under the ruins of Babylon. So that's where it's the foundation of Babylon. Babylon is literally right. founded on the technology of the Eternals. They, so Babylon is built. So the starship goes and lands somewhere in Mesopotamia or in Iraq. And the city of Babylon is built on top of it as a foundation. Extremely symbolic and extremely important. So also good. you have into the 1521, you know, they're over in the other hemisphere and they are with the Aztecs. So they yes. tied that in too. Yeah. Absolutely. And we know we know from archaeology that the types of pyramids slash ziggurats slash temples that were built by all of these different groups of people around the world, they're all very similar to each other. They build them pointing at certain astrological lines um, or ast astronomical lines, I should say. And earth ley lines, which are magnetic lines and, and things like that. And so there is a lot of overlap between these ancient civilizations that archaeologically super hard to explain because no one believes that they had any contact with each other. And from a biblical slash Tower of Babel perspective, I don't feel it's that hard to explain. But in the movie, they pull that in as well. So we have the Eternals fighting on behalf of other groups of people that are also now worshiping them as gods. And then when you mentioned Babylon, of course, the eternal that is there is none other than Gilgamesh, who is the number one, you know, one third divine, two thirds human, Apkalu, which is the actual Ugaritic word that means this semi divine being. That brings technology. That brings technology and knowledge from before the flood according to the Ugaritic text. 
And he is named by name also in the Book of the Giants from the Dead Sea Scrolls, Second Temple, Judaist writings. Which which is, uh, so what Brian's, that's a very, very big deal that Gilgamesh shows up in. Gilgamesh. It's, it's a very big deal that he's named in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a very big deal that we have it from Ugaritic writings. And then it's uh, telling that the Eternals script adopted one of the central characters to be Gilgamesh. Now, Gilgamesh is not the only Eternal in Babylon. He's the one who's in charge of inventing new technology to try to decide whether or not to give it to the people or revealing new technology. So he's got this holographic system where he goes, oh, I've got the steam engine. Should we give it to the people? And they say, no, these people aren't ready for it. Let's start with the plow. Let's give them the plow. And then it shows how all the people are blessed by the plow. But the city of Babylon is not ruled by Gilgamesh. It's ruled by uh, uh, Ajax. And um, so it's a, uh, so, so you have basically the city of, of human people is ruled by a god or a goddess or a group of gods or goddesses who are treated with extremely high esteem in the city. This is all very, very um, consistent with extremely ancient extra-biblical narratives. By extra-biblical, I mean anti-biblical narratives, as you see in uh, the Enuma Elish and some of these other ancient narratives, where, uh, as Brian was saying, the Babylonians give their credit in their ancient writings for their dominance uh, as a civilization and for their technology to what they call the Apkalu. Um, they give their credit to divine beings that came from above and showed them how to do these things. And so it's uh, so that narrative is very consistent with the eternal. So it, it, the the Eternals is not consistent with the biblical narrative. It's consistent with the anti-biblical narrative. The anti-biblical well, narrative being the the other side of the story, which is, is that creator really a good guy? Or are these uh, beings that separated from him and fell in love with humanity, are they the better ones? And right. I think that's the real, I think that's the overall theme of the movie is it's really asking the question, what if the creator is not good? What if the creator is actually selfish? What if the creator is actually allowing all this pain and suffering for his own good and can we rise against him uh, can we can we overcome a and defeat the creator god if the if we decide the creator god is not good yeah, yeah. Uh, brian the, go ahead uh, and then i'll, I'll uh, come back to that but go ahead yeah so the the other thing is is that the the writers of these movies, the writers of these stories, they have a lot of what I would call kind of a schizophrenic worldview situation going on because the theme through a lot of all of these movies is that evolution is the driving factor of all things. But then we're going to throw in the fact that there was a divine being who created the world or, or you know, and created the sun and provided life. And so you have on one hand, this underlying belief that, evolutionary process is responsible for all things in the universe. And then you have a bunch of these narratives that say, well, no, not just by itself. We also have all of these supernatural things that are also impact the universe. And it seems like they're preparing you for something because yeah. no matter which side of the narrative you want to go to, it does not include a divine good being that actually created the universe and has our best in mind. It has a number of divine beings that are all very suspect. They're all very, they infight with each other. They stab each other in the back. They do bad things. And they Literally just have a ton stab of each other in the back. Literally. And they just have a ton of power. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you look at the Asgardians and all the Thor movies, and you have a whole other race of people that humans on Earth, or according to that narrative, Midgard, worshipped as gods. But in the Marvel narrative with the enlightened superheroes and people that get to know them, well, they're just another super strong race of aliens, and, and they're not really gods. So yeah, there aren't really any gods in the universe. They're just more and more powerful beings that somehow came to be part of the universe. It's just turtles all the way down. You know? It's all turtles, baby. Yeah. So you got the, the, the powerful beings, the more powerful beings, and humans are somewhere in between and always trying to elevate their way up. Uh, Dan, I know you got something to say. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, so there, there are several nods to evolution in it. You know, there's a statue of Darwin that one of the characters walks by and, and mentions. Uh, and then they talk about the evolution of the species and uh, the importance of evolution throughout. And, and, and let, me, let me interrupt you in, in, rudely and hijack that real quick. So I, I don't want to forget, but I think this is important because it ties back into what Brian was just saying. Evolution is not absent from these narratives. It's co-opted and put in a place of subservience to the larger narrative. So what you have is, yeah, there are creator gods and powerful gods, and they use evolution for their means. And the way that's indicated in this case is it's Cersei, who's the one who's walking into the British National Museum to give a lecture. She walks by a statue of Charles Darwin, and she calls him Charlie. So she's acknowledging him, but in a very diminutive way of, yeah, 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 evolution, evolution. But that's not really the thing. Really, it's about the Eternals, or it's about uh, the Celestials and the Eternals and the Deviants. That's the real narrative. Evolution is a very sub-narrative in all of that. Earth has been shaped by evolution to the extent that these Eternals and Celestials have allowed it to be shaped by evolution. And so they can pat an evolution on the head and call it Charlie, you know, Charles Darwin. Um, but it's it's not really the thing that's in charge. And that's a shift. Uh, I'll just point out, you know, boys and girls, that is a shift from the way um, the evolution narrative has been positioned in the past, with, with a few exceptions, but it's always, oh, everything ultimately is subject to the evolutionary force. And, and now the narrative is, no, it's not. It's supernatural forces that weave evolution into their ends and means. Go ahead, Dan. I'll all of, back off. Uh, real quick, all of these things, they all tie into this idea of forbidden knowledge, higher knowledge. This is a huge theme in the in the actual occult. And it constantly is played out over and over and over in these movies. And it's played out in spy movies. It's played out in, in so many different kinds of movies. You have this big earth-shattering thing that's going on, and the people just don't know about it, and they can't know about it. And only the few select few are the ones that are going to have this knowledge and maybe be able to do something about it right you go back to the movie armageddon and just on and on and on it's like the the public doesn't know and that's an interesting thing that's different about the scripture and what god has revealed in that it's been democratized anybody can read it and anybody can study it and anybody can learn all these things that god has revealed about the universe and it isn't a matter of, well, you have to study under this ascendant master for 10 years before you can learn the next level of knowledge. And all of the knowledge in this movie, you know, the Eternals are living among us, but nobody knows. And there's a 
evil race of, of demonic creatures that, that from deep space and nobody knows about that and the world has been protected multiple times by from total destruction because of you know these other beings that just keep everything secret so and, that's just something i want to point out and brian i know i said it'd be quiet but you're getting me all worked up here um this is what Paul's talking about. You go to Colossians 1.26, and he's talking about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So the, the, the biblical narrative is very about the, the democratization of the mystery. Romans 16.25, to him who was able to strengthen you by the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that had been concealed for ages past. I know in Ephesians 3, it's the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. You're able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I mean, Paul is constantly saying, the the mystery has been revealed. But don't forget, who was God... Who was God keeping that mystery from until Christ was revealed? Not people. From the other divine beings that he had previously created, his first family, he was keeping it from them. And for those of you who want a, a reference for that, and there are many, many, but Colossians 2 says that they may be encouraged in heart, knit together in love, filled with the full riches of complete understanding, so that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. <laughs> so... Uh, or, or Colossians four, where he says, "So we proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains." So it's that is a very consistent theme in the New Testament that the, these these secular narratives are saying, "No, you don't know what's going on. The wool's over your eyes. The real the real work is happening behind the scenes. You have no idea. You're subject to it. It affects you, but you have no control." The gospel of Jesus Christ is the mysteries are all revealed in Jesus Christ, and He's not hiding them. The question is, what do you do with them? You can love them or you can hate them. And so that's a, it's a very anti-gospel message to say that there is this hidden subplot behind everything. Now, are we blind to it sometimes? Absolutely. But it's not because we're being blinded to it by our creator, which is what, where the Eternals will ultimately get to, is the creator doesn't want you to know what's really going on. He doesn't, he doesn't want to show you because it will destroy you if you really knew and you're going to get destroyed either way. That's I'm spoiling the end. But the gospel is not that at all. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ has shattered the mysteries. He is the revelation of the mystery. The revelation of Jesus Christ answers all of the mysteries. And he's available to any who would have him. And he doesn't leave anybody out. So it's a, 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 a inverse message in many ways. Yeah. So So speaking of Jesus, who this is, you know, this whole life, this whole universe is really all about. I've heard of him. Yeah. This this movie does not mention him once, and he, his name does not even come up as a curse word, right? It, it seems very intentionally uh, placed that that he's never at all mentioned. Now, I want to throw something out there, which I think he's very subtly, indirectly mentioned, and this is a, so. That, let's go back to the scene. And, and I could be wrong on this. I, I just caught it partway through and kind of grabbed onto it and tucked it away thinking, huh, that was interesting. Okay, so I, I really pay attention to movies, especially mainstream movies, where there's a situation where somebody's lecturing because they're always saying something that's actually important, but most of the, the listeners kind of skip over what's being said. 
So remember, so when Cersei is walking to the British Museum and she walks by the bust of, of uh, Charles Darwin and says, hey, Charlie, I know I'm late or something like this, it's a joke, but she's she's basically diminishing the evolutionary concept. She goes up to where she's supposed to be lecturing. Now she's late to give the lecture. And the character who turns out to be the character called Dane, who turns out to be her, her lover in the movie, even though Cersei is an eternal and Dane doesn't know, uh, but he quickly finds out. Um, he's lecturing in her place and he says something and it ties into the end. He says something and I, I'm, I'm going to butcher it because I, I just heard it once. He says something like inside our planet is a seed of perfection inside the, this, this core. And he says something about this sexualized uh, planet. There is the perfect manifestation of humankind. Now, and, and, then, and he says some more, but I'm going to stop it there because what we find out at the end is that literally inside of the planet, there's a thing that is trying to burst forth, but it's, but the Eternals don't like the way in which it was bursting forth and they want to kill it because it's the son of God. It's the son of the, the, the prime celestial being or the offspring of the prime celestial being. In other words, the planet is a big egg and something is being incubated in there. And the way the Eternals cast it is it's being very selfishly incubated to the detriment of humanity and to the cost of humanity and humanity is just being used in the process. And the creator is a, a, a mean old God. And, and if he really cared, he would just let people live their things out and, and let Eternals be in love with humans and vice versa. But uh, there is this being that's trying to burst forth from inside the earth. So Yes, and all, is all that of the Christ? people are batteries. Yeah. Well, it's the opposite. It's the Antichrist. Right? This, the, is, yeah. this is a God a son of God that is being born and in order for it to live, all of humanity has to die. And so it's the exact twist of, of Jesus on his life so that humanity could live. So I absolutely agree with you. But what I would throw out there is, is it the antichrist that's being portrayed or is it the lies that are being told about who Christ really is? Because if yeah. Jesus Christ is the perfect being from the earth who offers eternity and salvation to the earth, what kind of lie might the enemy tell? Might say, no, 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 no. He's not good. You don't like him. He's actually to your destruction. So I, I don't know, and I'm not making a theological statement on this. I don't know if that reference is something that you could equate with Christ. And I'm just going back to, I'm not challenging, but just kind of riffing on your statement that Christ isn't mentioned, but is he alluded to if he's accurately the perfect being of humanity that is there for this, this revelation of God. But the Eternals, who ultimately turn against their creator, are saying, no, he's not good for you. You don't like him. You don't want to trust him, and we should stop him. Is that accurate? Are, are they portraying well, so him as the Antichrist when he's really Christ? I would, so, I would say that the archetype is there without mentioning the name. And it is a, you know, a twisting of the archetype. But you know, to be fair, the people that are making these movies, there's a lot of people that are Christians in in the world that watch these movies, and you can't make a mainstream movie that's supposed to have this wide appeal like the Marvel movies are supposed to have, and disparage the the religions like that. You know that you're not going to do the same thing to to uh, Muslim, you know, to to uh, 
the Muslim faith, right? They're no, not going to they, do that. They're not going to come out directly against. They're not going to come out. So, so the archetype is definitely there, and it, and Dan's analysis of it is is spot on. It, it is literally the inverse of what Christ did in terms of how he's being cast. destroying destroying humanity so that this thing can live as opposed to laying down its life so that humanity can live. I mean, Dan said it perfectly well and I just repeated it right there. So that's, that's a big thing because again, they never mention his name. They don't mention Christianity or anything like that. And yet we have this sacrificial type of a thing going on in this perf perfected being and, I mean, it's it's crazy how much it ties into the actual biblical narrative. So speaking of biblical narrative, another line towards the end is they talk about there's a line that says the truth will set them free. And that, you know, that's a direct quote from the Bible. And it but the context is the Eternals talking about how are we going to convince the other Eternals from other planets that. God, this creator, God is actually bad. And so they're, they're saying the truth will set them free when they realize the truth that this creator God is actually our enemy. They'll, they'll recognize the truth and it'll set them free and then we can all unite to fight against God. Yes, and there's another thing related to this. I would call it the idea of free will or the lack of free will. And there is this characterization and this is, inside this movie and outside the movie is that the free will of people should be, should be untouched. Right. And that there's this God out here, Arashem, who has subsumed the free will of the Eternals because in the storyline, they have evidently been shepherding planets multiple, multiple, multiple times for, time immemorial, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, they've been being shipped off to a planet, protect the planet, give them technology, get them up into a certain level so that their population can increase to a, to a certain level. And then the Tiamat character in this one or some other egg celestial child, because really it's the race of the celestials of which Arashem is one that is what is being incubated in these planets and the celestials don't consider humanity or any other you know, in a marvel sense right he, any other intelligent sentient race of a of an alien world because it's not just humans it would be all these other creatures and in, in within the marvel universe you have the shiar and the kroll and all these other different races of beings and so the celestials would keep doing this and these exact same Eternals have been basically reprogrammed and sent back out with different identities thousands and thousands of times. And that is what causes the big problem with Angelina Jolie's character. Her mind is starting to be fractured. She's remembering other planets where she had to wipe everybody out and watch this destruction happen. And she can't really control it anymore. And this is the big secret that they're going to tell everyone is that this, this God that we trust in explicitly actually is controlling our will. And we're nothing more than a throwaway tool. And we're not even actually live beings. We're machines, we're constructs that he uses and reprograms over time. And that is a, that is a narrative that does get thrown against 
any, you know, the big three religions for sure is that the gods of Judaism and Christianity and even Islam are controlling gods. They're they selfish. Are, they're selfish. They take your will away from you and they make you do their bidding. And if you don't do their bidding, then they're going to punish you and destroy you. And it's a characterization of the actual relationship described in the Bible between humans and the creator through Jesus. It's just the opposite. It's not, it's not what the Bible says at all. And, and even though that there are some denominations and some churches and some theological stances that actually fall into that same narrative, that isn't what the Bible actually says. And that's something that when you're watching these movies, there's all of these subtle messages that are being pushed into your brain and we need to be aware of them. And it's, it's fine to watch a movie and it's fine to enjoy the different parts of it, but always try to be aware of what is the message that's being pushed on you and what, what is the outcome of believing that message or even ignoring that message or assuming it without, without thinking about it, I guess. Yeah, and another issue with, with with that is that there's a time where they're talking about human suffering and the the eternals just want to intervene when they see a human suffering and they want to stop the fights and they want to stop the wars and uh, all this human suffering really upsets them and they wish they could help but they're not allowed to help because the god has not allowed them to help and intervene and it comes up later that all of that human suffering was necessary because that created helped people get to new technologies that help people live longer that helped the population get big enough because it needed a big population so that this seed in the middle of the earth could have all the energy it needed to grow and expand and so that human suffering these eternals really wanted to just help but they weren't allowed to help because the human suffering was necessary for God to accomplish his selfish purposes. So Dan, imagine an end time scenario where these beautiful beings show up and we say, where have you been? They say, well, we've been here all along. And humanity responds, okay, well, you haven't been very helpful. And they say, well, we really care about human suffering, but, and we sure wish we could have helped, but you know, your creator wouldn't allow it. He just, he said you had to suffer. And we wanted to help. We wanted to step in and we, we could have helped. And we're willing to help now because we're breaking off from that narrative. Uh, and we're here to show you a better way forward because we're not obeying that old narrative anymore. We're, we want to do what's best for humanity and what's best for you and let you become as much you as you can be because your creator selfish and he just wants to use you for his own ends. Right. And you see in Revelation, right, the people acknowledge God but hate God. And you, you read that and you think, how could that be, right? Once people acknowledge that God is, how could you hate him? And, you you know, if you believe narratives like this, then you could certainly see where people could come to a point where they are, you know, no longer atheists and acknowledging that God does exist, but then hating God and and turning against him and deciding that he is the problem. The creator celestial and this being Asherim, which I, I haven't dug, done a deep dive on that name. It's very close to Ashura, but there are all the names are very close to other names. The creator God here, um, he's not, he's the opposite of warm and loving. <laughs> you know, he's, he's literally this like giant cosmic robot with unimaginable power and unimaginable knowledge 
but zero compassion or feeling for anybody or anything, including the Eternals. And there, there's a few things I want to point out here, just in a in a shotgun way. Um, the 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 concept of death that is presented in this movie is not annihilation; it's loss of memory. That's a thing that that is, so it, memory is a thing that must be maintained. So Brian, you mentioned Thena. Athena, who is played by Angelina Jolie, took me a while to figure out it was Angelina Jolie. Selma Hayek is also in this movie. It took me a while to figure out it was her. Um, Kit Harington, a couple of others. Um, so Athena is having basically PTSD because she's remembering things she's not supposed to remember. And Athena is definitely Athena from uh, Olympus because she's the goddess of war. They they del- deliberately say that. Say, oh, you're the goddess. You know, you're the master of war. You're the warrior but they call her Athena, but she's, she's Athena from Olympus. And she's having these flashbacks, which are making her essentially malfunction and not know who to turn on. And the, the problem is her memory. And the only fix for it is for her memory to be erased for her to be reset, which is considered death by all the Eternals are utterly appalled by this. I know we'll lose her if that happens. Well, then you have the scene where Cersei actually is, uh, confronted with uh the 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 creator celestial and what that creator celestial shows her is that oh i store all these memories oh i ha- i'm the memory bank i have all of them you don't have them i have them i give them to you and, and i just reload you and reboot you and send you back out and so it's almost like the the life force is memory and i, I don't have a lot of conclusions around that but there's a huge emphasis on, in this movie placed on remember, 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 remember. Um, and, and to the point where, you know, uh, when Athena's caretaker and pseudo lover Gilgamesh is uh, dying because of one of the uh, deviants, then what she's saying is, I will remember, I will remember, I'll remember, I'll remember during it. So I, I again, haven't done a full dissection of it. If I watch this movie five, six, seven more times, I would probably get to something profound around that. It just really stands out that death is loss of memory, well, not, and- not not loss of eternity, not loss of uh, a paradise, not loss of connection with your creator. It's loss of memory of who you are. It's memory memory being self identity. Yeah, and there and there might be a way to tie that in because another big theme that comes through here to me is again back to something I was kind of hinting at before, and that is free will versus the lack of free will versus, you know, all of the old mythology or records around, say, the the Greek gods, the Roman gods, um, you go to the Norse gods, you have these ideas of destiny, you have these ideas of fate, especially in the Nordic religions, fate was, you could not escape it. And your destiny, this is what's meant for you to do. You have a destiny, therefore you can't you can't go outside of that destiny. Well, one of the things that's put up as the highest form of evil is allowing human suffering when you have the ability to stop it. And this is a huge debate in religious circles and among Christianity. It's like, how can a loving God allow all of this suffering to happen? Because he has the power and the ability to just stop it whenever he wants. And it's it's true, he could do that. And we have a scene in this movie where Druig, who is very much like a druid, 
who is very in tune with the natural areas and his powers resolve more around that, but he has the ability to influence and control minds. And you see a scene where he is enslaved, essentially, an entire village. So let, and, let, me, let me jump super quick. So Druig, I'm pretty sure, is a personification of religion because he enslaves and controls the wills of humans to, in order to eliminate their suffering. And uh, and it's actually presented as a very negative thing, the way he controls people. He's so And he's yes, druid, the other, and he wears druidic yes. robes. But anyway, but it's about eliminating human suffering because he says, I can't, I can't not do something about this, but he removes their will in order to do something about it. Right. And that's, that's the big thing, right? He, he has the ability to remove human suffering. And so on the one hand, they're saying any divine being who will not stand up and try to prevent human suffering is evil. On the other hand, if you take away someone's will, that's evil. But the only actual way to prevent suffering is to take away people's will because suffering is not a product of some divine intervention. The suffering is a product of people's choices and how they interact together. Which so on one hand, they're saying biblical. that's the biblical, the biblical narrative is God allows, it's like, why does God allow suffering? Well, does, he, he doesn't specifically allow suffering. He specifically allows free will. And what you do with your free will can either do good things or do bad things. And if enough people are doing bad things with their free will, it's absolutely going to create suffering in the world around them. And you, you've got natural disasters and you've got other things like that. And there, there are certain kinds of suffering that happen in that way. But it's it's a big theological debate in terms of free will versus non-free will. And if, and if so, Druig is the personification of that idea that, well, if I just control everyone's minds, there won't be any more war. And that's the biggest progenitor of human suffering is war. So therefore, I'm going to stop them from having war, doing anything bad to each other. And so, other Eternals think that's evil. Yeah. And, and it, well, it, it is, but they don't go about it the same way that the gospel does. So if we look to scripture, no. and I'll give a couple of verses here for people to hang their hats on. First Peter talks about suffering. And he says in First Peter 4, uh, verse one, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. It doesn't say that, that there's no suffering. It says that there is that the, the willful suffering is a rejection of sin. That's one verse. Another one in first Peter five is, and the God of all grace who called you to his, etern his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So there's this suffering as being part of the the uh, the eternity, part of the the plot, part of the experience that we're having. Then you have Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's and then back to Colossians. We've talked about Colossians one. I think the last two or three episodes. I think we should do a deep dive on Colossians one at some point. But Paul says in Colossians one twenty four. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. Let me let me just go back through that vis a vis what Brian just said, where it's okay. We must remove will in order to eliminate suffering. Compared to and contrasted with what Paul says. 
which is now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Completely different message on suffering. Completely different outlook on suffering. One last one, and then I'll uh, Hebrews chapter two, verse ten. Uh, he's talking about in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. We could do an entire podcast just on that first section. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, again, kind of kind of a big statement, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Christ, perfect through what he suffered. So let me just read that Hebrews 2.10 again. Keeping everything we just said and, and that beautiful setup that Brian had of saying, this is how the ancient uh, religions perceive suffer, suffering. This is what suffering is positioned as in ancient thought compared to this extremely revolutionary philosophy about suffering that uh, the author of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. So when we when we contrast the message of eternals with scripture, you get this inverse message. But the the, the thing with eternals is that it's their message is appealing through the through the story. The, when if if you trust the Eternals, if you trust Cersei and these others, then humanity is lifted up, elevated, brought into something better, turned away from this selfish creator who's just kind of misusing them, and it's this empowering message of what it means to be a human being and have free will and sexual expression and all these other expressions and less suffering and, uh, and, well, me, and, and more intervention too. Go for it. Uh, so in the ancient world, suffering was not the way the Eternals present this idea that the highest, almost the highest evil is that people suffer and there's beings that have the ability to stop it and they won't. And that's just wrong. I would say that is a fairly modern interpretation of things. And the ancient world, it was more along the lines of, you know, the gods are arbitrary and they do whatever they want. And sometimes they cause us to suffer, but we still serve them. I mean, how many, you look through all of the writings related to Greek and Roman theology, Greek and Roman worship, and different, their take on natural disasters, this idea of the fates and the destiny and the different things that were causing it was like this is this has to happen this way the gods have ordained it so don't complain about it so that's a very you know ancient way to look at it and now we have this modern way to look at it that goes into that argument i mentioned before is how can a loving god allow all this suffering and so that model is part of what the eternals are because the suffering of mankind is one of the highest forms of evil when you have power to stop it and prevent it so what is it when it, you have the suffering of God as part of mankind, suffering infinitely on behalf of mankind? They would say that's, that's, not, the, that's the epitome of evil, and we would say that's the epitome of righteousness good. and salvation. Yeah, and, and, and they're never going to characterize that narrative the way that it actually is presented to us. They're always going to twist it. Yeah. 
I, where where do we leave? I, I don't want. I'm not trying to create a spoiler episode for Eternals. Although I think we've probably Pretty spoiled well enough. Yeah, we're, we're, oh no, we, we destroyed what, it. Yeah, that's what, fine. What do we still need to cover here? Um, there's a few so, things I have in mind, but Dan, I, if you've got some stuff, like we can kind of shotgun a few more ideas out there into the ether and see what comes of them. Yeah, one other thing I noticed was, you know, the the actual biblical narrative wasn't mentioned much, but it was mentioned once, and and it was it was kind of a subtle dig. Because they mentioned Noah's Ark, and then it wasn't for several minutes later that they talk about, somebody makes a comment about how the, the earth is going to be wiped out. And somebody says, it's not natural to wipe out all the life on, on a planet. And so you you know, you know have that comment coming, not immediately after, but a couple minutes after mentioning Noah's Ark. It's like and these it's sons just, of God are a little bitter about something. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a dig at actual creator god well the funny thing about that is what exactly is natural about any of it since it didn't happen on its own there was you know the bible says that the universe is held on the will of god so where's where's this natural thing that you speak of that is a materialist philosophy that says that there is the natural universe and there is nothing supernatural and the whole point of this movie is to have supernatural and extraterrestrial and all of these things that, you know, in some way they, they could say this is part of the materialist universe, that these beings were created through some evolutionary process and they have all this crazy power, but it's still part of the natural realm. It, is, it isn't until you get into Doctor Strange and all of those movies that you get into the very supernatural, that it's not... It's not, it, it is a different plane of existence. It's not natural to our plane. So again, there's a lot of contradictions in the philosophies and how they present things that they do little digs here and there, but then they contradict themselves at the same time. So yeah, another interesting thing with the, with the natural being all good in that opening paragraph that the movie starts with, it's, you know, describes the deviance as an unnatural species of predator. And so, you know, you, you're still here elevating what's natural while at the same time elevating things that aren't natural. So I, I, I think that, yeah, the distinction between natural and unnatural is a, a really uh, important distinction. I almost called it a profound distinction, Brian and uh, Beth, that's for you. It's a profound distinction uh, between them. Um, I, I want to hit, so we're a little over an hour in and I just want to, we're not going to do a scene by scene dissection of this movie. Um, but if you ever want to, you guys or any of you are welcome to come over to my house. We'll watch the movie and I will ruin it by giving my thoughts out loud scene by scene as we go through it. Um, It'll only take eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> Dan's Dan's been through that before. And like, how many times did we pause that movie to go back and back up 10 seconds? We can barely get through a James Bond film without, you know, an hour of commentary as we go through it. Um, maybe that'll be an episode. That was a good movie. Uh, so I want to, there's a few things I want to put out there. One is we talked in, uh, the Enoch episode and we've alluded to it in some other episodes about sexual relationships between man or mankind or, uh, daughters of man and the sons of God, or what would equivalently ish squishy wise be the eternals in this movie. Are there sexual relationships between the eternals and 
normal human beings in this movie, as best as you all can tell. You assume there's one between Ceres and Dane. Yeah. Right. So that one's pretty obvious. And they kind of allude to the fact that they really care about humanity and they've, and they've invested in these different um, civilizations over time. So it's kind of an underlying assumption, but it, it isn't dramatically put out there. The only one that we know of is this Circe and Dane situation. So, okay. So you've got, so the only explicit sexual encounter is between Circe and Icarus, which felt like didn't even make sense in the movie because there's no offspring between the Eternals, but there that's the most explicit sexual relationship and it's brief and short and weird. And then you have the real romance, the ongoing romances between Cersei and Dane and Dane is a normal human being. But I, I feel like there is a very strong implication. If you look at, you know, Kingo, the, the Bollywood star, and he brings a lot of levity into the movie especially his assistant. I can't remember his name, but his assistant who's awesome, especially since Dan and I are heading to India and loving these thick, you know, Indian accents and jokes. Um, Kingo, there's a lot of sexuality represented between him and humans. And you can only assume that in this ensuing 5,000 years that they're with humanity and showing these very intimate relations. I mean, you have Cersei and Dane making out in a stairwell and you have even the the human children recognizing that there's something romantic between them. I think it's, it's acknowledging openly that there is some sort of sexual relationship between the Eternals and human beings. But contrary to biblical narrative, it's not a problem. There's, it's fine. There's no downside to it. Well, and the, there's only one of the Eternals who has a child that's shown, and that was adopted. Yeah, exactly. Happened. Yeah, so it's an Eternal with a human uh, counterpart who has an, adop- an adopted child. And it's shown in a very positive light, and you know, this, this warm family scene. And, um, it, and, and, it's, and it's totally fine in, in the Eternals narrative. It's a good, beautiful thing, and it's this adopted it, child. It really I, does follow the biblical narrative because the inverse version no you have these created beings they do not procreate they cannot procreate so what do they do they get with another creation that the creator made that can procreate and they they use that like it's kind of like oh we 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 can't create life in the laboratory but we know all about it you know, well, we, I, we, you always have to start with something God created, and then you can do some things with it. You can twist it, you can turn it, you can clone it, you can, you know, whatever. But you can't you can't start from whole cloth. So the Eternals don't actually procreate in terms of have offspring of their own, but they could possibly with humans. So the the way the Eternals movie presents this is almost like. Well, we can't procreate, but we found a positive way to procreate, but we kind of had to co-opt humanity to do it. Now, I'm not saying that against adoption. And I remember, you know, Dan, you have an adopted son. Um, it, it's it's not a knock on adoption. It's an acknowledgement that the, 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 the casting of this side of the narrative has to co-opt different portions of where offspring come from. Because the only instance of intercourse doesn't produce offspring. And then the male, female, eternal human 
narrative that we see the romance there doesn't produce offspring. There's another offspring that is co-opted. So it's a really, um, it's a really interesting uh, twist on what we would see versus the vis-a-vis the, the biblical narrative, which is that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, they had offspring with them and it uh, didn't go well. So uh, Brian, I want to give you a chance to give any uh, final thoughts you have. I think we should, um, you know, move this one towards close. We've, we, there's a lot to say and a lot more that we can say uh, anything else you want to add. And then Dan and I can uh, wrap it up here. Yeah. I think the overall, I mean, I think we've, Pull, pull out a lot of good things about this particular movie, but you know, there's a lot of other movies out there. And like you go back to the original Stargate movie and you have uh, an extraterrestrial who is posing as the God Ra, the Egyptian God Ra, and he steals humans and uses them as slaves and moves them to another, another world via the Stargate and all this kind of stuff. Um, there, there's just a lot out there. And if you start watching these science fiction movies and looking at them through this lens of how, what, what things is it pulling from the biblical narrative or the Mesopotamian narrative in general? And even because the same narrative basically exists, if you go to the South American and Central American, Mesoamerican narratives, and then you go to the ancient Asian narratives wherever you find temples you find the same sets of very characteristic narrative they all flow together and it's crazy like it's it's mind-blowing when you start to realize that but start watching when you're watching sci-fi and and you're watching superhero movies and you're watching these things look for it look for look for the narratives look for what they're saying what are the underlying assumptions about the universe that the characters in the movie live in because it's, it's really very, very ubiquitous. It is, it is just flowing into your mind all over the place. So I just, that's my biggest thing is people just need to look for it, watch it, be aware of it. It's okay. Just be aware of it. Brian, do you feel like this is escalating? Do you feel like this message is getting louder and louder and louder as we approach something? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you go on to Netflix, HBO Max, Hulu, you name it. Do a search for shows about UFOs, for example. There's hundreds. There's documentaries. There's movies that have that as a theme. I mean, it's just, it's constant and unending. And it's just, it's in every genre, the genres are exploding and getting bigger and bigger. And now you have movie makers from all over the world. I mean, you start looking at Netflix and there is a TV show from Turkey on Netflix called the protectors. Same exact thing. We have aliens that showed up through a portal, not through a ship onto earth. And they had certain things that they were supposed to do. They were exiled. They needed to get back home. And so then there's a human who gets these supernatural abilities and his job is to protect Istanbul from these alien beings that look like humans and they're immortal. I mean, it's all over the world, and it's just, I do think it's expanding. I do think it's its getting more and more ubiquitous over time. And we, we could need put, to be paying attention to it. And we could put on our tinfoil hats to uh, try and figure out where that's coming from and who's behind it, who's financing all this. And I don't know, but but, but, the, the, but the trend 
the trend is obvious and the narrative is obvious. So thank you, Brian, very much for sharing your yep. thoughts. We appreciate your participation in this yep. episode, you, as always. Dan, uh, final thoughts about The Eternals. Why is this movie being made? Why is there the biggest Hollywood budget in the world behind this plot, this narrative, this thing, and anything else you want to throw in? Again, I don't control these conversations. I just have the loudest mic. So uh, it, anything that you feel like needs to be or should be highlighted or noted in uh, in this film, um, what do people need to be paying attention to? Why is this being made? Why are we talking about it? So I've been asking myself, why is it being made? And I mean, the agenda it's, behind it's a, it's it. It's a is, weird movie. Just it's, it's, it's a it's weird movie. Weird. Like, you know, <laughs> it's it's not a great movie. It's just weird. And there there is such a thick agenda behind it that is so obvious and so blatant and and so such an, a, a direct affront to the biblical narrative that you've got to ask yourself, like, does do the people who wrote this movie and directed this movie and acted it, I, I can't imagine they have any clue of the level of, of that it goes into, but yet it's so scripted that you, I, I don't know. I don't know where it would be interesting to know how much they knew what they were doing and how much they just stumbled across it because that's the narrative that's out there. I mean, some somebody somewhere has to have a clue. There's gotta be a clue. I mean, think about it. Tiamat, Tiamat, who is the emerging being from inside the earth that's going to destroy humanity. Tiamat is a Ugaritic God. And the name Tiamat is talking about the God who was the birthing of new humanity. And it, I mean, this stuff, it, it's so connected. You get Gilgamesh has to die. So Athena can remember. There's so many narratives. You get Sprite who we haven't talked about a lot. This, this fae character who is semi-cursed through the whole thing and kind of left out of the human narrative, but left out of the eternal narrative, but also important, and then gets restored at the end. Really, really important. Then we have another fake creature, the troll, show up right at the end, like partway through the credits. And then you have the the brother of Thanos named Eros show up. Eros, for those of you who know Greek, is eroticism. It's uh, Eros love. It's erotic love. That's his name appears at the end. Somebody somewhere knows what they're talking about. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's the writer. I don't know if it's the director. I don't think it's the actors. They did a good job with what they had. Uh, but you know, to get this many characters crammed into one script is a big deal. They, you know, they cast right. it well. They did a pretty good job in terms of cinematography. Um, I agree. Somebody, somebody, somebody knows. Somebody knows but what I, they're talking I, about. But I'm sure that the vast majority of the people involved with making the movie have no clue. Well, and I think that's probably true of a lot of things. I mean, we've talked about what well, we're going to talk about more, but uh, it, it, is there a cover-up of extraterrestrial narratives in the U.S. government? Yeah, pretty much, certainly. Who, how many of what percentage of the U.S. government or Congress or the Senate knows about it? Uh, almost, maybe one percent or less. <laughs> you know, hardly anybody actually knows that it's happening. So, when it comes to these films. The narrative is very clear. Who who's writing the scenes of these lectures that are being given? And I mentioned a couple episodes ago. You talk about you know in a Jurassic Park film where the 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 lecture scene from the the pulpit like setting is man does not have dominion over Earth, while the Genesis narrative is man has dominion over Earth. Somebody somewhere in Hollywood knows the significance of saying the opposite. 
was it Jeff Goldblum who was speaking the lines? No, I don't think so. And I'm not trying to funnel this into some, oh, it's all this guy or that guy. I don't know. I'm just saying that there's an extremely prevalent and obvious narrative. Yeah. It's not coincidence. It's not coincidence. It's too close. It's way so too how, close. So how would you answer that question? Why do you think this movie is being made? Um, I will put myself out there just a little bit and say, I think it's being made because it, because somebody said it had to be made because it has to get out there. I think that there is a process of we as the great unwashed masses being softened into a narrative. I think we're approaching the end times. And I think this narrative that we see in the movie Eternals is a setup for a more fully fleshed out narrative. And by the way, I, I recognize guys that were overusing the word narrative. If you've got a better one, feel free to send it in the comments. We used it a lot this episode, a lot the last episode. It's just, it, I don't have a better word for describing uh, I mean, I, if, if you want me to, I can, I can start saying zeitgeist or something, but that just sounds pretentious. So the, uh, the story that's being told with Eternals and the framing of that story and the positioning of humanity within that story, I think is um, deliberate because I think it is a dramatic shift towards the framing and the storytelling that will be happening in the end times, because what it's saying is there's no savior, there's humanity, there's creator, and there's something in between. And the something in between has a better idea for humanity than what the creator has. We'll take that back to Genesis chapter three, where you have a serpent who is something in between telling the created of Eve that the creator of Yahweh doesn't really have her best interest in mind, and there's really a better way. I don't think the lie changes very much. And what we see with the the devil's lies, we see that he doesn't come up with new things. He's, he's repeating and twisting and inverting the same things over and over and over. And it's always an elevation of self and a diminishing of Christ the creator. And for those of you who don't know what I mean by Christ the creator, well, there's a creator, there's a Christ, but if you read Colossians one, it's Christ is the creator. Also the same in John chapter one. So Jesus Christ is the creator. And any narrative that diminishes Jesus Christ as the creator is the anti-Christ. So the Eternals movie is an anti-Christ film. D- d- don't, don't go start demonstrating. Don't, it's, nobody will get it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're in the top 1% of 1% of understanding what we mean when we say that. Don't worry. The time is coming. You'll have your chance to stand on the soapbox and say what Antichrist is. If you Don't go alienate everybody. But it, rather, if you have friends who love the Marvel franchise and they've watched Eternals, have the conversation with them and say, what, what do you think the movie's about? What are they talking about? So we're trying to equip and arm you, our beloved listeners with the ability to take something like a Marvel movie and say, where is Christ in this movie? Where is antichrist in this movie? Uh, and where is scripture in this film? Where is anti-scripture in this film? Where are you in this film? And where are we as a society in this film? That makes for really quality conversation. And that's yeah. a lot of what yeah. we're trying to do with this episode. And, and that's one of the things about this 
uh, in the movie is, you know, anybody you try, you try to have a conversation about it, and and somebody who does not have a biblical worldview is going to look at you like you're crazy reading all this into a movie that's clearly a fiction movie. You know, Marvel's not trying to claim that this is true history or how things actually happen. But they're not but they saying are, it's not. <laughs> right, but they are building a story, right? Yeah. So they make it so that they're making a, a story that's against the biblical worldview very clear while also being able to say, hey, it's just a story, right? What are you, what are you so up in arms about? And so it's kind of a dangerous thing. But when you go back to the theme of the movie, which is, I think, going to be a very prevalent theme in the end times, is, you know, what if the creator God is not good? What if, what if he's just selfish? And can we rise up against him? That's Genesis chapter three. I mean, that's, that's what the serpent asked Eve. What if he doesn't have your best interests in mind? Can you rise up against him? Can you become a God? Does he really have your best interests in mind? Will you really die if you turn against him? It's, it's the oldest lie in the book. And that's what I would put, you know, as a, a stamp across the Eternals. Not, not a bad film. I don't, I don't hate it, but it's also the oldest lie in the book. Dan, anything else you want to throw on there before we wrap this one up? I think that was a good way to end it. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, we thank you for joining us for another episode of the Mystery Bible on podcast. What's really important here is that Christ is lifted high. The uh, the truth and uh, dependability of scripture is emphasized and that we're highlighting and pointing a spotlight on places in the dark, sneaky places that are that are trying to go contrary to scripture. Don't start posting on Facebook that Eternals is satanic or something. It, that's not the point. The point is that the Christ narrative is the correct narrative, and there are many things in the world that are trying to destroy that narrative. But the people who are subject to those messages are not the bad people. If you know somebody who loves a movie Eternals, great, engage them. Sit down and watch a movie with them. Ruin it with the 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 narrative of, hey, what do you think that means? And what is this? And you know, I gave you a lot of Bible verses to hang your hat on during the conversation tonight. We're not trying to create division or fighting or God forbid, you know, social media, Facebook wars. Don't do that. We don't do that. I don't do that. Um, because it doesn't do anything. We're not trying to shame anybody who likes the movie. It's a good movie. Special effects are great. Pretty good acting, great directing, woven in very tightly to a really cool epic storyline, just not the biblical storyline. So all we've done here is take this Eternals movie as an example of the kind of thing the world will tell you and examine it under a biblical microscope and say, no, 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 let's, let's take that back to biblical narrative. What does it mean? What's positive? What's negative? That's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to create friction, fights, arguments, there should be no, um, there's no gotchas in this. That's not the point. That's not what this podcast is for. This podcast is to spur you on to a greater and more detailed examination of what you read, what you see. I would exhort you to what Brian said, like pay attention to what you watch, pay attention to what you hear and just, just recognize what the world is saying. There are many great testimonies that have come out of Hollywood. And a lot of very awful things as well, but some really good testimonies that come out of Hollywood for people who are 
recognizing that the narrative they've been fed is is not the right narrative. So uh, we can rely on scripture. Uh, we want you to be encouraged. We want you to recognize that as uh, as the opposition to Christ continues to expand, it's never going to eclipse who Christ really is. So we love you. We thank you for listening. We thank you for joining with us. We look forward to the next episode.